Amir Kvoort, the CEO of Catalytic, and this is Unbundled. In this series, I help to demystify technology in the world of business. Join me as we explore how technology can make your business better. In this episode, we're chatting about hyper-converged infrastructure, or HCI. We're chatting about what HCI is, how it relates to the cloud, and what to consider when deploying HCI. By the end of this episode, you'll have a clearer idea of how hyper-converged infrastructure can benefit your business. Today, I'm joined by Gerard Faree, Channel Sales Manager for Sub-Saharan Africa and IO and IO, yeah. at Nutanix. The, the, I assume the IO is for the Indian Island Oceans or something like that. Indian Ocean Islands, correct. Oh, uh, so that's okay. That's that's a, that's a great <laughs> part of the job. Unfortunately, it's, it's it's a part of the job that we don't get to see too often, right? It's, <laughs> um, you know, when 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 a vendor um, puts that sort of part of the title, it's you get the part of the title, but you don't get to go as often as you want. As everybody they, thinks, they see that you're going to go on holiday. You're not know, seeing beaches and you're walking, lying on the beach. It's um, but it's fun. You know, it's uh, I get to see you know countries in in Africa that um, I typically wouldn't have experienced in any other life form, um, and potentially also wouldn't have even made the effort of you know of actually paying myself to go. So yes, getting yeah. to experience getting that experience has been really really interesting, um, and it's been something I've been doing for the last couple of years. So you know, meeting all different kind of walks of life, it's um, and the great thing is is that if I look at where you know what. What my role entails is, you know, ecosystem and building ecosystems throughout the continent and just seeing the, the talent that is available throughout Africa. And, you know, I think if we can, can harness those, you know, their talents, um, I think we, we can, as a continent, really accelerate into, into the future. Okay, what a great start to the to the conversation, um, Gerard. Just give us so you're at, at Nutanix now. Maybe tell us a little bit about what Nutanix does, and then maybe just a little bit of history. Yeah? Um, uh, yeah. you, you and I both didn't start in industry yesterday, so maybe just give us a little bit of a background. Perfect. Um, so Nutanix started out in in 2012 as a hyperconverged infrastructure vendor, um, which we basically coined the term. Um, you know, so we, we, we came into the market and we had this view of how do we make or how do we give customers the ability of cloud? You know, every customer is sort of saying, look, we like what cloud is. We like the features, functionality, we like the speed of which we can deploy. But we were still sort of worried about the security components. So HCI came about in terms of the ability to give that customer that, you know, cloud-like features and functionality, but still within the private environment, right? So still keeping control. Okay. Um, and that's a high-level view, right? So we've subsequently migrated away from just the HAI story and moved more into an enterprise cloud conversation, right? Because that is where we're moving today. With the advent of when Azure launched, when AWS launched, and now the subsequent launch of, of GCP or Google Cloud in South Africa. I mean, it's about how do we help customers maximize existing investments on-prem, but also utilizing those existing agreements that they've already got in the cloud, right, with the Azures, with the AWSs, okay. and making sure they maximize that investment. From a background point of view, um, I've pretty much spent my entire life prior to Nutanix in data management. So started off way back when in distribution um, as the product manager for Semantic Veritas at that point in time. Okay. Uh, subsequently moved into as a, product, as, as a PM, so a partner manager for Veeam, where I was for about two years. And then the longest being the channel manager for um, Sub-Saharan Africa and IOHI at Commvault, 
Um, okay. You know, so very much data management focused. Um, got to a stage towards, I think it was, was probably, you know, beginning last year, um, where I sort of felt, look, I think the amount of time I spent in data management was sufficient to, to now warrant the change. And, you know, the opportunity in Genix came about. I think it's uh, an exciting company. I think we're really in exciting times at the moment. Um, customers looking to really optimize the way they operate. And, I mean, and as, as we know, um, more and more customers today, I mean, business is telling you, listen, we want more from you, but we're going to give you less money. Right. And that's how we optimize. So I, uh, this leads perfectly into, into the conversation. So, so can we, uh, and I think you alluded to some of it um, earlier. Yeah. But uh, so, so how would you describe what the hyper-converged infrastructure is? So if we in, in, in Lamenstone look at hyper-converged infrastructure, right, that's basically taking the, the core components of what, your, what, what we call legacy infrastructure or three-tier architecture, which is your compute, your servers, your networking, your storage, and bundling that all into one configuration, right? Making it easier to deploy, also removing that redundancy. Oh, well, actually providing more redundancy yes. into the environment. So, so removing that dependency on a specific um, unit, right? So, so whether it's a So if we can AM. make it um, specific when you talk about that three-tier architecture. So in my mind, what would happen is, is if I open a business and yeah. I have that talk, computer room that's there in the back and I've got some IT guy that's doing stuff for me. He's going to come put in some networking stuff, some servers, and Correct. then at some point in time he's going to come to me and say, okay. you don't have enough storage, and then I'm going to put some storage uh, yeah. SAN or something. That's the, the historical way yeah. of doing it. That is the historical way of doing it. And typically if you are a, uh, a green savvy customer today, if you look at what that sort of you know entails in terms of power consumption, cooling, and more and more customers are starting to say, listen, how do we optimize this? Because this starts you know impacting our carbon footprint. Yes. Now, if we look at what what Hyperconverge does, is it's you know in in simplified manner, if you're starting up a business, it's IT in a box, right? It gives you everything. It gives you the compute, the networking component, the storage component, and it helps you optimize the environment for what for that purpose fit. Right, without the need of having to, you know, you know, pretty much, um, comp- or not comply, but you know, sort of look at storage or additional compute. And the cool thing about HCI is that if you grow, it's not a forklift upgrade, right? So usually, you know, in terms of your traditional legacy or three G architecture, when there's a additional requirement or you're growing outside of the size that you currently scaled for, um, you got to pretty much rip and replace. With HEI, it's a scale-out architecture, right? And it's okay. also a, a right fit in the start. So it starts with what you need now um, and grow into what you need. Okay. I think, you know, added benefits to, to HEI was is the way, you know, we started looking at licensing models, right, in terms of how does a, how does a customer consume HEI? Because it's one thing, you know, um, sizing three-tier architecture, paying for something for pretty much five years up front, and realizing in five years' time, but listen, I've, I've, I've not used all the storage or I'm not even using a you know, component of a compute and I've paid yeah. a lot of money for this. So it's helping IT well, managers. That, that step, uh, you pay money and then you wait a bit and you pay a lot of money exactly. again, but uh, to, to get it to even 80% efficiency is, is difficult. That is exactly it, right? And I think this is where, where HCR vendors really changed the game in the sense that start with what you need now and you know what? You might grow into in, in, in requiring an additional node or additional two nodes, yeah. or even allowing you to, to uh, you know to utilize your your contracts that you got with AWS Azure, or 
the opposite could happen. You might just not grow. You know, the size that you started with is, you know, the right fit for your company. Yeah. And the amount of money, the TCO over the long term, then starts coming into effect because you were able to start and budget for what you needed right now. And you were able in terms of, you know, that just-in-time um, forecasting to when you need it, put it into the budget and grow instead of having these big chunks of, of cash leaving the business every single time. So I want to ask you now, in terms of the services that you can deliver on a, on a hyper-converged infrastructure, yeah. um, uh, I certainly, to, to me, it comes to mind immediately to say, okay, right, um, um, it's my service that's going to sit there. But you have the ability to to virtualize your, your PC workstations onto that infrastructure yeah. as well? So we can do um, virtual desktop solutions, um, pretty much also from not just servers, but also looking at databases of service, right? So if you're looking okay. at um, you know customers with high demands around on the database processing, DBAs in themselves are, are, are a very unique individual um, and typically also not guys that, that's, that's got the most patience if I can say <laughs> you know so usually they, they'll put in a request for at RT to, to be to you know give them a machine so they can actually spin up a new database and given in terms of the way things used to work in you know legacy architecture the process of getting through that for an you know an RT administrator to provision a new machine is quite lengthy the result of that is obviously shadow IT so the guys actually break outside of the actual corporate environment to you know, create their own because business machine. moves faster than IT. Exactly, yeah. um, and they spin it up and they do their own thing. The problem with that is, is that if it's a, a DBA sort of spinning it up in public cloud, right, and they're using the company account for it, they spin it up, they test everything. Nine out of ten times, they forget to actually spin it out, right, and then there's a cost associated to this, and then everybody wants to know, but where is this cost coming from? Similar scenario in terms of storage. You know, if we if a IT manager doesn't have that ultimate view around his environment. Um, he potentially gets a request or a phone call from a supplier saying, listen, I'm ready to come drop off your storage. Where do you want me to drop it off? And the guy says, listen, I don't, I don't need storage. And he starts investigating and he realizes, but listen, marketing has sort of created their own little IT department internally because his team just didn't have the bandwidth to scale as, as and what, what they needed for. Now, it's not always a bad thing because I think certain teams does have the ability to just give a bit of a different um, you know, thought pattern and idea into this. Yeah. But it's always a bad thing when business starts losing control of what they're doing because Correct. you're losing control of what you're spending. You're losing control of your data. And if we look at today in, in today's environment, data is the new gold oil. Yes. Right to a company. Yeah. I mean, that is the most important asset. And for a customer or for, for a corporate environment – keeping control and being able to understand what data they've got is the first place. So classification of the data and how do you classify and how quickly you can classify it and how quickly you can utilize additional you know, vendors uh, in terms of analytics to actually process your data to give you that competitive advantage against your, um, your competitor, right? And I think that's, you know, bringing the whole story back, that is one of the key benefits that HA has brought into, this, you know, into the environment is that because it's giving you that you know, cloud-like performance and functionality in, you know, on your, in your private cloud environment, and it gives you the ability to sort of outsource. I mean, if you give self-service um, functionality to a DBA to spin up whatever he needs to do in a test dev environment. But it's contained test, in your it's environment. It's contained within your environment. Okay. You keep control around it. And 
He bring, brings it down. Or if everything works out and he can actually just do a change control, you know, change control. And it's a consistent way in which we actually do the change control or application update or patch management, right? So that is some of the keys around HCI, which you don't typically get from a three-tier architecture environment. Um, and then I assume in a three-tier architecture perspective, it's also possible that you have different uh, vendor relationships in those different elements and all that type of stuff, which yeah. can also complicate uh, support, turnaround times, skills, all that type of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, that's actually quite a good point. Though. So within traditional three-tier architecture, you would have your preferred networking partner or your networking supplier. So, And we won't name names at the moment, but then you've got a storage supplier, you've got a compute supplier. And when something goes wrong, who do you you know who do you log the call with? Yeah. So first off, the poor service provider who's who supplied the the environment is the guy who gets the first call, right? Then trying to try to to break to trouble troubleshoot where to actually find next. And the problem with something like that is finger pointing because yeah. the first vendor says it's not my problem, the other guy says it's not my problem. Then you got three point fingers pointing back to the service provider saying you didn't implement it correctly, right? Whereas on an HR point of view, it's one throw to choke. Plus. That, that sort of fear of vendor lock-in. So if we're a customer sitting, but uh. what do I do? You know, I've got my, my, you know, my data sitting in Azure. You know, if, if I get upset with what Azure is doing, what do I do? Um, you know, currently in a three-tier architecture, I've chosen a specific hardware platform. I've broken my, um, my, my allegiance to them, you know, because they've done something that I'm not really happy with. How do I move? You know, am I subjected to staying on the same architecture or same platform? Or do I need to look at something that gives me, you know, that sort of the freedom of moving in between platforms and sort of thus taking away that sort of vendor locking? So that is some of the stuff that we that we are looking at, and it is, um, again, as you said, it's about having one throat to choke. Um, and within HR, you know, the HR vendor takes responsible for that, takes responsibility for that, and then delegates back down. So if it is a hardware issue. Um, we've got the ability to go and you know, pinpoint where that specific issue sits to a point where you can literally flash if it's a hard drive that's that's backed up, where you can allow it to flash and the techie can go out, find the actual rack, right to a point where they can find the drive, take the drive, it replaces it with something new, and and on you go. Um, and yeah, you know, I think again. So, um, my next question and and um. I talk about this a lot and I, I struggle with this a lot around, um, you know, how, how businesses make, uh, uh, you, you know, justify the decision-making. Anyway, we'll get to that yeah. now. What is, um, what is then the difference between, let's call it HCI or, or um, as you call now, enterprise cloud or whatever, yeah. um, and, and public cloud or these hyperscalers? Yeah. So I think if we're going to look at the main difference between enterprise cloud and, and hyperscalers, Hyperscalers are still managed by Microsoft and AWS and, and GCP and by, by Google themselves, right? When we look at enterprise cloud, that's the ability to bring your HCI environment, which is pretty much your, your, your private cloud environment and your public cloud platforms together and allow you to freely move applications and data across the platforms, right? So, okay. Um, that is clear that that is basically the main difference. But, but, but uh, so... so S- supposedly, public cloud delivers this the same uh, call it promise as what uh, enterprise or HI offers in the sense that 
It gives you flexibility, you can scale as you grow, all that type of stuff, theoretically. Yeah, so theoretically, so if you look at most publics, and well, actually all of them, um, when you scale as you grow, it's usually in T-shirt sizes, right? So um, if you need, a, if you've got a, you know, a high compute application, it doesn't necessarily fit into the bigger T-shirt definition, yeah. but because of the compute or storage requirement, it does push you into that higher tier. Right, so they sort of basically force you to to procure according to what their terms are. Right, taking back the enterprise cloud component, it's consuming cloud on your terms. Right, so you you literally just consume and pay for what you need. Uh, th- that's sort of what it sounded like. So, so what I'm trying to get to is is, is um, it almost and and maybe. Maybe that trend is reversing a little bit now. We mm. we, we have the re- re- reality of costs, yeah. but um, uh, it felt like in the past, let's say two three years, this, the the public cloud uh, was a hot topic and sort of a mm. sort of the default way to go. And it still is, Yaku. I think it's in in essence. I think it's about how customers find a balance between the benefits of public cloud and in terms of the availability of public cloud. I mean. If you go and look at you know some of the key benefits of public cloud, I mean, with the redundancy in data centers all across the world. So, mm. I mean, God forbid if anything happens to to South Africa, I mean, the, a customer still has the ability to keep on trading because he can actually fail over into data centers, you know, in the in Netherlands Europe. or yep. in China, whatever yep. the case may be. Is um, if you look at what a customer is looking, you know, what I'm saying that you know that right balance is not all applications have been built or are suited for a public cloud environment, right? Purely because of the way they operate, right? The amount of time they accessed. So I'll use a simple example. Um, You know, people or customers looking at um, sort of um, cold blob storage, for instance, or Glacier in terms of AWS, right, for archival storage. It's very good, you know, it's, it's nearly take, you know, trying to replace tape, which is good. However, not understanding, you know, what those costs are once you access the data again and bring it back into a format where you can pull it back. That is where customers are hurting right now. And that is why we've seen that a lot of customers said, yeah, you know, maybe we need to re- relook at it. And it's not a case that, you Do you know, find that customers went, and in, went into public and then came back or scaled down the, the so they, strategy as far as they're concerned? So what they've done is they actually, you know, amalgamated and embarked on that sort of multi- cloud or, or multi-cloud approach in the sense of having my on-prem HR platform, doing what I need to do with the, with the applications that was designed for this, and keeping those applications that was designed and built in the cloud, born in the cloud, and keep them in the cloud, right? Because it's a, it's a different kind of animal. Okay. It's also a different kind of way of, in, of interacting with it, right? So, um, and again, cost becomes a, you know, a, a big motivator when when customers are looking because again it all sounds good and well when you say listen i'm just going to spin everything i'm shutting everything down on prem and i'm going to move into the cloud but more often than not customers never really read the t's and c's they don't really see the fact that you know now we're charging you per hour of cpu time we're charging you Per you know, per virtual memory module you use, and if you don't use it, we're still going to charge you because that's part of the t-shirt sizing. So you get that micro wastage that's sitting at the customer saying, "But you know, I'm spending. How do I how do I minimize that?" And that's where you know guys like Nutanix 
has so, sort of come to the so, fore. And I've actually, um, I actually feel quite passionate about this because, like I say, you know, to me it felt like it was sort of like a, uh, uh, you know, you know, crowd, crowd up, and everybody piled yeah. into the into the uh, public cloud. And in uh, a lot of conversations I have as people in say afterwards, but flip my 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 cost calculations didn't work. Yeah. Or and and um, to me. I've, I sometimes have this perception that that people thought it was going to be the silver bullet to all of the to all of the on-prem problems. So you look, I think to some customers during COVID, something like like public cloud really helped, right? Because if you look yeah. at the traditional um, physical data centers, you know when there was uh, a sort of COVID lockdown, it, you know customers struggled to get into the data centers to actually go and fix what was wrong, right? Yeah. So okay, I think. The public cloud made its play and, made, and it also showed its value at that point in time. The reality of that is that customers at that point in time also understood that we're going to be paying a premium for this because, A, I don't want to put my staff at risk in, in getting infected, and B, I also can't afford to be down without getting somebody into a data center to actually fault, fault find or fix what the potential problem is. You know, fast forward two, three years later, customers are saying, right, Crisis is over. Crisis is over. We've, we've, we've now averted a lot of this stuff in terms of we can actually go back not to what the way it used to be. So we found an optimal way that there's definitely the applications that's working a hell of a lot better in the cloud and that we will leave in the cloud, right? So okay. like business critical applications, um, some of the banking applications the guys are using, like the, yeah, the internet banking apps and that kind of stuff, leave it in the cloud. Mm. But then you get your, your, your traditional stuff um, that – wasn't meant to be in there, that is in there, and it's consuming and putting you into those different T-shirt sizes and getting you into a micro-wastage space, right? Okay. It's seeing, understanding how do you move that back, or if you don't want to make it, but want to, want to move back, at least find a, a way to actually only consume in the public cloud for what you really need, right? And that is where, you know, the HCI vendors also start coming into play because we do get the ability to... Um, right size and only consume in in the, the hyperscalers for what the customer really need. Can I then ask you, um, uh, that actually perfectly leads into my next question. So if uh, if a business now decides, uh, let's, say, let's say, that, and we know South Africa sometimes can be behind the curve. Mm-hmm. Let's say they behind the curve and they still have some form of uh, historical three-tier architecture, whatever, and... What, what factors must you consider when you consider going into this? Uh, let, let, uh, let me generify my question and say mm. into a virtualized environment. So I think first and foremost is actually understanding what it is that the application needs to do. Right? Is, it, is it fit or can it run in a virtualized environment? So it's understanding that the vendor that, you, that you're running the application from, does it have the ability to be virtualized? That's the first component. The second component is actually understanding licensing costs. Mm. Because if we go look at, and just a simple example, you know, back in the day, you used to either license per CPU or per terabyte, and that was for the next 12 months. Now, you can imagine if you, if you replicate that model and you're paying per CPU in a, hyper, in, in a, in a hyperscale environment, you're going to be paying CPUs for all, uh, all the CPUs in that environment, not just the, you know, the 50 you're using. Right? So it was understanding does the license models of the virtual of the application, I am virtualizing. Does it fit for what I want to do? And does it have is it future proof enough for me that if I want to move these applications into the cloud, 
that it fits into the in, you know in, into that sort of play. Or, or, that's, or, or, or vice versa. Vice versa, right? Yeah. So like a move and that the license either follows. Um, but that I'm not sitting in a, in a position where I'm paying more for licenses than what I used to, <laughs> you know, from an on-prem point of view, right? So it's always about. It's, have it you, have you seen customers where that happened? Right in the beginning, yeah. You okay. Know, it's, um, and I think it was also a lot to do with you know when when HCI was really you know coming into the fore, it was understanding which licensing models really fit. Yes. Um, and then obviously the hyperscalers came around and they they sort of solved that. That riddle fairly quickly for everybody in the way they in understanding the way they licensed, right? They then came to the HCI guys or you know a whole whack lot of other vendors to say, listen, but whatever you're doing, we can optimize that and we can offer it at a better at a better price point and a better solution back to the customer, but not um, at the cost of the public clouds or the customer's own environment. But again, it's understanding license costs. It's understanding what you want to do with the application. It's understanding that if I, if, if I want to virtualize, what does that, that actual physical cost going to look like? Right? Do I need to retrain my, old, you know, you know, my staff? What does the benefits look like to me if I virtualize it? So if you look at HCI, for instance, the ability to simplify, right? So you should be simplifying and actually reducing the load on your IT staff. Is that going to allow me to have an engineer that usually just sat watching the lights and make sure the lights flicker and keep on? Um, does it allow him to now become a solutions architect because he can now focus on business problems yes. and helping business solve that you know that you know, key issues versus just watching you know keeping the lights on? And I think that's where a customer needs to look at. You know, it's the it's the underlying costs. Yeah, it's understanding: a can the stuff go? Can the stuff go that I want to go? Will it be supported? What does those licensing models look like? What's the licensing implications of those applications if it's virtualized? Because since in most cases, a physical license does differ from a virtual license and so yes. the way that the vendors manage that. And then, and as I say, you know, looking at support, looking at how you, you know, cross-skill your, you know, your team. Is it a, a fairly simple process or is it going to require some, some time? And in most cases, if... You know, the guy's been around for 10, 15 years doing specific support on, on that platform. Mm. He is going to give you pushback yeah. because he's going to try and justify his existence in an environment. And that is where business is going to have to look at and say, listen, but we're not trying to replace you. Yes. We're trying to make your life easier no, so that you so can valid. help us solve additional business problems. And those potentially are the, the, the key sort of areas I would look at. I think this, you know, another key point would be not to put all your eggs in one basket. Oh. You know, if you look at, you know, certain, you know, stuff happening in the market today, um, you know, a lot of customers end up putting everything on a specific platform. Yeah, and that can be a, that can be a platform, that can be a, a public cloud vendor, it can be any one of those. Any one of those, yeah. right. It's making sure you've got a multi-strategy, right? Making sure you've got a... A exit clause, if 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 you know, for lack lack of a better word, right? So you got the ability to move around and make sure you get the best bang for your buck. Yeah. Um, because we don't want to be is in a, sp in a space where you've got you heavily invested in one specific technology, and when it comes time for renewal and there were license changes or you know end of life on on certain licenses, and they're now telling you, listen, there's no other way of doing this. You are going to go the new the new model. You know, you would like to have some options of saying, well, you know what, keep those applications there. I'm moving the rest onto, you know, my hyperscale platform 
or wherever I want to move it to. But it's making sure that you, you cover both sides of the coin. It's having, and uh, I've got to be honest with you, for me, I, I always talk about um, tech religion. Um, that, mm-hmm. That's almost uh, what it becomes. Like I, I only want to talk vendor A because, um, you know, I've… Yeah, because I've, the, you've drunk the Kool-Aid. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's a, it's a good term, that. Um, and in, in 2024 that you you, you, uh, um, you you know you have to create options I think if, yeah. if anything that we should have learned in the past three four five years is you need options so Absolutely. and a single vendor definitely is not the answer for that no and I think you know again going back to to the original you know earlier statements where we said is that it's finding the vendor that's fit for purpose what does yeah. help though is when you've got multi vendor strategies is having that overlay that actually provides you the ability to manage those multi-vendors out of a single, you know, one single console basically, right? Because it's still important, although you've got the multi, you know, the multiplay, you need to be able to have a singular view. Yes. Because that helps you keep control. Okay. If you don't have that, it becomes challenging, and then all you're doing is you're removing the silos you had on-prem or even in, you know, in the instances you had in the cloud, and you're just replacing those silos, right? The idea is to remove silos. The idea is to simplify and by simplifying, it's making it as easy as possible to see everything that you have, keep control over it. So, so um, uh, I'm, I'm almost in my mind, I'm going to term your term enterprise cloud as, as private cloud. Um, yeah. But maybe, uh, but but now in terms of what we're talking about now, uh, the the main sort of. Um, trend seems to be there's, there's now this hybrid cloud or, or, or multi-cloud strategy or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and the enterprise, what you're saying now, enterprise cloud can still cater for that. Absolutely. So if we just if we look at the true definition of enterprise cloud, it's with you know without oversimplifying it, it becomes a manager of cloud, right? Manager of private and public cloud. So giving you that single view. So mean, make, allowing you to move move applications with a click of a button from your private cloud environment into AWS or Azure or GCP or even one of the other um, public clouds in South Africa, right? You know, whether it's Dimension Data or Vodacom, doesn't matter. Um, but also giving you the same functionality and being able to one-click, move it back. Move it back, yes. Right? So being able to move it, it's, it's really giving you that ability to move your, your applications to where the right purpose, for, you know, for right fit for purpose is, but then giving you control, reporting, analytics around your entire platform instead of just having a view on Google. Is that control and analytics, would that typically be then part of that that enterprise cloud vendor? Correct. Because I mean, and and again, I think um, I think if we think about you know, technical verification of what uh, sort of enterprise cloud strategy we're going, you know, people can spend a lot of time on technical um, verification and, and due diligence and all that type of stuff. But ultimately, I think the key is, is you've got to be able to measure and report on it. You've got to be able to, from an IT perspective, go back to business and say… Charge back reporting. Yeah. Yep. So that's typically, that that overlay is where, where, the, where the secret and the source lies, right? That's how ah. you, how you okay. report, so the analytics, giving you that ability to do just-in-time um, forecasting, giving you the ability to also look at different departments who's utilizing, you know, more resources than they typically, typically does uh, or typically do. Um, how do you go back to those departments and tell them, listen, you know, Mr. Marketing, you are using, you know, three quarters of my storage at the moment. So the next budget cycle, 
when I when when business says yes. to me I don't have any more money to you know to grow the environment, but I got to do better. I'm coming to you yes. because you're gonna bring it, you know pay for for the upgrades and some of what we need to make sure we keep everything all the lights on and we keep on improving the business and inc- improving the operations. Right? And and almost in line with what you spoke about uh, shadow IT earlier, yeah. you know that typically wouldn't uh, that sits in like you say marketing budget. You're just spending the money in a different place. So um, and creating all kinds of other problems as so far as it goes. In 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 that statement, it actually brings shadow IT back into control of of IT, right? It's, yes. And I think the key as well. I mean, if you look at the risk associated to something like shadow IT, it's you know you 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 increase the risk of ransomware attacks because now you've got data or, or platforms all over the show, which it's it just increases the you know that that. Um, or that horizontal line for an att- a bad actor to try and attack into, right? Yes. Bringing it all back, being able to manage it from a ransomware point of view, from an ability to recover, you know. You know typically what happens if, um, you know, a machine goes down, what is your recovery strategy? You know, how, and how easy is it, is it to do a failover or to recover one click into the cloud kind of scenario while you're busy, you know, fixing what's what's been wrong in in um, in, in in the on-prem scenario, and even to a point, how quickly, how easier is it is it to pinpoint that should you have a bad actor in your environment, that you can literally with a click of a button power that entire machine down, keep it down, and at least ring fence the rest of your network to you know to keep on to keep on operating without the the influence of of that bad actor in your environment. Um. Uh, not to be too controversial, but there's been some some international vendor uh, um, fun and games. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know if we can really talk about the vendor landscape, but um, maybe maybe can we talk to and, and you've alluded to it a little bit earlier, but um, we've talked about the factors that you should consider before you go into into this enterprise cloud yeah. um, environment, if we call it about it that. Now let's talk vendors. Yeah. Um, uh, what should customers consider when they when they go into this project? So funny enough, um, you know, I'd, I know a lot of you know a lot of older customers would say, look, you know, Gartner doesn't really add value to them, or Forrester, um, or even the RDC reports. But I do think that a customer that does their research. Um, Gartner does have a, a whack load of, of magic inputs in terms of which HR vendor is strong where. And, and again, you know, HR vendor one might not be the suitable fit for, for customer two, for instance. You know, yes. It's, it's a customer needs to understand what's, you know, what, what suits him and for specifically his environment. Um, and I think if you, if you start putting those analyst reports together, right, so it's not, it's, not that I want to say it's the Bible around in terms of how to select an HR vendor, but it is a, it, it's a fair, you know, measuring stick in terms of who you want to engage. I think the second component is in terms of your your partner landscape, right? Because I okay. think in if especially in Africa today, with the skill shortage around technology, it's how easy is this to deploy? How easy is this to support? And you know. If we look at partner landscapes, how many partners do you have that does the vendor have that's got the relevant skill to support and deploy? The second component on top of that is not just partner landscape for deploying and supporting, 
But what does the vendor's internal, so in-country skill look like to support the partner if needed, right? So not necessarily yeah. having to fly somebody in from, from, you know, from the UK or Dubai or India or the States, but what does the local skill look so, like? So that almost talks towards the, the, the vendor's investment in the local market. Correct. So it's, it's so a full ecosystem. Yeah, in other words, don't, uh, well, uh, if the market's, if the vendor's invested in the market, then you know you're going to, it's a safer bet to, to that take. A, exactly that. You know, it's, it's um, I always say that a partner who's, you know, who's, who really invests in becoming the highest tier technical skill partner that a vendor, you know, has is a partner that you typically want to trust because, man, they've spent money. They're taking rebates they're earning from the vendor and reinvesting it back into, the, you know, into that space, making sure that their skills are phenomenal, right? So that when they – because you know, the reality is to, to a partner today, if they deploy into a customer environment and it doesn't work, it's reputational damage, right? Yeah. Whether you like it or not. It's reputational damage to the vendor, Right. And unfortunately, you know, the, the, the vendor space is so competitive that none of us can really afford to, to leave a bad experience within a partner or, or a customer. And the partner will typically be, will typically be the, the uh, IT company, if I can call it that, that's yeah. going to uh, propose and deploy and support into, into yeah. the end customer. These are the guys that actually sits with, you know, with the customer, consults with the customer. Mm. Understands a what the customers' needs are, you know where they, you know what their their strategy is for the next five to to ten years. Understand which vendors they need to pull in to actually sort of give them a a, a global overview of a more rounded strategy, um, and then typically taking that strategy that they've now proposed to the customer, which the customers now signed off to now deploy because then they've got the skills for networking, they've got the skills for cloud and storage and compute sitting all in one team. And I think that's where customers are looking for is, again, if we're talking about single throat to choke, having multiple partners in an environment is also a risk because, and again, they start pointing fingers about who's responsible for what. And it's also not a position where you want to be. I mean, I think as a, as a customer, you want to be in a position where you've got a you know, service level agreement with a partner you don't, you don't care. You shouldn't, or the, or the requirements should be that you shouldn't actually worry about what your underlying technology is yes. that you're running on. Yeah. It's about, I've got an SLA with you that, you know, if something goes wrong, you fix it within the next hour mm -hmm. because it's a credit application. Or if it's a file and print server, it can take the next day or so to go. But there's an SLA involved. How you manage to keep that SLA? as a service provider and as a vendor and the underlying vendors is up to how you as a partner then pull that together and make sure that the vendors actually you know, perform it's, according to what their SLAs are back into the support back to you. It's, it's such an interesting um, mindset that, that you're talking about that, that when people talk, let's call it private cloud or enterprise cloud, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, mm. where there's, there's still a big focus on, a, on, on the, the actual vendor. Uh, what is the hardware? Is it Dell or is it HP or is it this or is it that? But when I go into public cloud, what, what hardware does it run? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. You know, I'm just consuming a service. And you actually made such a valid point now. You know, spend less time on what the nuts and bolts are and rather just look at, at what, the, what the business outcome is for you yep. and make sure that you have a partner that, can, that you can, like you say, that you can choke if, they, if, if, if you don't get what you need. Exactly. And I think, you know, if you, if you look at a partner that really knows what they're doing, they also really know how to, to articulate that in terms of even penalty clauses back to them 
if an SLA is not met, yeah. right? Because they know also how to you know, how to impose a penalty clause on the clause on the vendor if an SLA is not met. Okay. Right? So these guys mean they really know what they're doing. Um, and specifically when you start looking enterprise cloud, multi cloud, you know the born in the cloud sort of stuff, it's you know focusing on on guys who's got skill, you know, um, and it's typically been around the market for 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 a long time that understands how the, how the relevant technology actually flows into one another um, because that to a customer should be the safety net because at the end of the day um, the partner becomes that trusted advisor the vendors from any landscape pretty much becomes the, the shoe salesman if you, if you want to call it right because they're all <laughs> knocking the door down and we're all <laughs> trying to get into the customer and telling them why, our, why we think our technology I'm going to use that term is, from now on I like that is best right <laughs> the partner is the one that sits back and actually you know put their reputation on the line to say look this is why we think this is specific for you and I think if a customer can get to a partner that's willing to, to go through that entire process with them understand where they want to go have compassion for where they want to go and also potentially understand that they might not be 100% ready for a full, you know, HR or, or hyperscale deployment. And, be, and also it's, it's being allowing them to have the ability to say back to the customer, listen, you're ready for component A. We know when you to take you into a, you know, full bang approach to have this enterprise environment running. Let's focus on getting everything right Let's start with, with component A and we then take it as a staged approach in moving into getting to you where you want to be. You actually made me just think of something now um, in terms of what you mentioned now. Um, is, there, uh, is there sort of a, um, let's call it a barrier to entry? Is there a customer that's too small to consider some form of enterprise or HI environment? So, yeah, it's actually an interesting question because although we call it enterprise cloud or HCI in, in this position, there is no real barrier to entry into it's about what the customer needs right so in terms of starting from your smallest HCI deployment which you know can start off with you know two nodes and then scaling out or from a customer literally smaller and if you look at like little um, you know smaller law firms kind of scenario or auditing firms they don't have their own IT departments that wants to get rid of the actual physical server which is standing on the side that they've been trying to patch manage and literally taking the drives out every night when they go home <laughs> Um, <laughs> to being able to either co-host within a, a you know a partner's environment or move giving all of that over to a partner saying listen push this into cloud I mean all our applications are cloud ready so is there a right fit I mean a lot of the a lot of the technology was built around being enterprise ready but the word is misleading in the sense but, that but they, do, yeah. it's the, the barrier to entry is in terms of really what the customer wants to do not necessarily the size of the customer. The, to me, the other side of that coin almost is, is if I'm a small business, the fact that it's this enterprise focus, it means I'm going to get quality. I'm gonna You're going to get quality. And a lot of the times, because it's a, a especially in a smaller, in a, in a smaller scale, you, a lot of times you get benefit of economies of scale. Okay. If you start moving into a co-hosted environment. So, so I can be a 10 man marketing or counting business or whatever. And, and, I, I can derive benefit from going you into an enterprise cloud environment. Depending that your applications are, are, are ready for that and fit for purpose, you can derive benefit out of it because, A, you get an SLA. You don't have to worry about paying, you know, the HR costs around the, the support of it. You don't have to worry about managing the, the infrastructure. All you need to worry about is making money. And that's for them, for you to be able to do that, you need to make sure that 
the partner that you're working with has got the SLA to actually make sure that your application keeps on running. And that's the main requirement, I think. You know, especially especially in the small environments, there is a real, you know, a real fit for purpose case in terms of utilizing as much from a hyperscaler point of view as you can, um, or from an enterprise cloud point of view as you can, because the benefits far outweighs what the the sort of negatives are going to be. And potentially, you know, initially the customer might see that, but listen, I'm spending a little bit more a month on a month to month consumption cost. But what is what what does that total outlook look like for the customer over yes. the five, six, ten years, right? Okay. The money is saving on not having to have his own on-prem IT support, not having to to pay overtime, not having to to manage any sort of HR um, involvement. Right? Yes. Takes all the headache away. Whereas you know, and you look, you still get your your, your odd, you know, sort of SMB space. Where you know the guy, as you said earlier, he wants to see his light flickering. Uh, he wants to see what he <laughs> bought. Um, and I know of you know, sp- you know, back in the day when I, I mean, I think it just started with Commodore and we we stole our first hyper hyper converged backup solution. Um, and it was all hosted in in Terico. And the customer, I want to see what I bought. I'm like, dude, can't really, but. Um, we'll, and we we went into the into the data and said, you, you see these flickering lights? These are this, that's you. Because okay, at cool. the end of the day, <laughs> where we're looking to go is technology needs to be multi-tenanted, because for a partner to derive value out of it, out of supporting it, out of investing in it, he needs to be able to get that yes, uh, economies of scale at least to also compete against the hyperscalers. Yes, yeah. Where, where where hyperscalers were really and still most probably are competitive against the smaller sort of IT shops is that they, they can sell storage and compute at a fraction of the cost. But if you go into there, then you can't see your own lights flickering. So exactly. That's also um, – okay, Gerard, so we are always in the show by sort, of, by sort of making it real. So if somebody listened to it now, let's, let's take my 10-man marketing business mm-hmm. or something like that. If they listen to this and they go like, it sounds like it's worthwhile for us to to maybe simplify, optimize the environment or whatever. Yeah. What's the right place to start? Right place to start is actually you know, selecting a um, selecting a partner, right? So it's making sure that you've got the right again the right reseller or the right partner involved, um, because the right partner will come in and they'll do a full analysis, right? They'll They'll run the relevant tools around, you know, on your platform. They'll actually see how many virtual machines potentially you have, how many physical machines you have, um, understand how much of the kit that you do have is still usable because the reality around it is that when you do make a move, there is the chance that in some of the, in some of the hardware that you've already invested in might become redundant. So okay. it's up to them to help you also find another way to repurpose that kit. In most cases, we try and to be, we try and see as far as we can if the kit is sort of salvageable in terms of being able to deploy an HCI infrastructure on that. So, can you can you take a third party hardware and, and add it into that mix? Yeah. So, most of us have got what we call three reference um, reference architecture. So, we'll as a as a partner and our own um, solution architects, we'll have a look at what the current existing environment looks like. If the hardware the customer has in his environment fits the reference architecture build that we have, then we can look at repurposing it. Oh, okay. If it's no, if it's not suitable, then you know we we try and find other ways of 
of helping the customer to, to repurpose that kit. But then we start looking at looking right again, because it's a si- right size and fit for purpose, you know, starting off small, doing what we need to do, moving the relevant applications onto the new platform. Um, and then slowly but surely shutting the, you know, the physical environment down. Right? Okay, so, so in the, um, in the uh, Nutanix framework, where, where do people go? How do people find a partner? Easy enough. Um, go on to www.nutanix.com. Um, it will point you to either speak directly to us. Usually what I would suggest, give the vendor a call. Okay. We'll just pop them a mail. Um, we would be able to provide you a, a comprehensive list of our specialist partners in the region. Um, and we don't, I think, we, you know, the reality is we don't try and force any partner down a customer's throat, right? So it's, okay, look, there's six, you know, sort of top qualified partners. Out of these six, which are the ones that you would prefer to, to deal with? Right? Nine out of ten times from a smaller partner, from a smaller customer point of view, they've never heard, well, they've never had their dealings with any of these guys. So it's a case of, who would you advise to go to, right? And then it becomes a scenario. What are but you that, that's for? also a that's bit of an additional backup. If the vendor yeah. is happy to propose a partner, you know it's going to be good. And exactly that. And that this is why I also, also said right in the beginning, certified partners is the key to success and the backbone of what a customer is looking to do. Because a certified partner is basically the stamp of approval from us as a vendor that he knows what he's doing. And that's the guarantee a customer is looking for. If they don't have the relevant certs, and you're going to maintain the certifications over the period of time. Um, I would be be very sketchy of of you know supporting a partner like that because you're not always sure whether it's like being a doctor, right? You know, <laughs> going to going to a doctor and the last time he went to any sort of medical conference was in 1989 when he just you know certified as a as a medical doctor. He doesn't know what the new medication is. He hasn't. He doesn't know what the new trends are. Um, similar. So why would you treat your your IT environment different? Yeah. Why would you want to go for a a more I don't want to call it a cheaper option because that's probably not the not the right word of saying it, but for a more cost effective option, but not really up to date with the skills as what somebody that's a little specifically more in a in a specialist frame of mind, um, but a state abreast, you know, keeps on doing certification updates, making sure he knows what's happening in the end, you know. It's, uh, in the space of IT, then it literally becomes the the surgeon of IT, right? It's and I don't know about you guys, but I won't. I mean, I've been in in a, in a few scares myself, and I've seen what you know being able to to rely on a specialist and the skills they have. It's uh, just there's yeah. just no no comparison. And uh, I mean, uh, listen, there's a there's a couple of. Key things I learned from you today. One is t-shirt size. I like that. I like the shoes, shoe salesman um, component. <laughs> and but I mean, fundamentally, as you said, you know, data is the new gold. You know, yeah. so if you don't respect your data, then then and for that you need a vendor and a, and a partner you can trust. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, again, you know, just just to sort of end off, you know, for a customer to to create value um, and treating data as as new, it's also around training. You know, it's enablement yes. of staff. Um, I mean, it's one thing, it's like, you know, a customer can have the best environment running. But if you haven't trained your staff around key principles of how you treat that data, how you take, when you leave your lab, when you take your laptop out of the corporate environment and you mm. go to a mall and just leave it on the back seat, I mean, that's just not, you know, 
proper etiquette in terms of how you treat the most valuable component of a company's IP, right? Um, just walking into you know into your network and just plugging in a USB drive that you just picked up off the side of the street mm. or some you know some poppy gave it to you because she was dressed in skimpy clothes and doing some promotion. It's teaching staff that you know you've got a responsibility to maintain the integrity of the you know of the environment and the data. Once you've got that done, then I think uh, you know companies will start seeing the value of spending the money they're doing on improving their systems to make it easier for for their you know, first first of all, their staff to 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 operate in the development to take place, but also customers seeing the benefits in terms of the backend applications that they'll start seeing. Yeah. Herat, thank you very much. It feels like we, uh, I think we need another two or three hours, but uh, I think definitely I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, invite you back and we're just going to keep on talking about this because, uh, you know, in, in all of the customer conversations that I certainly have, this is sort of one of the, yeah. the key topics at the moment and, and it's something that uh, every business sort of needs to look at at this point in time. Perfect, Jaku, thanks for the time was great spending it with you and uh, I look forward to some more conversations. I think there's, there's some key topics to unpack. Um, and yeah, I think it's an exciting time, especially in, you know, for us as a, as a country, as far as, as a, as a continent, I think Africa is really at the cusp of accelerating um, in terms of where they're looking to go from a rejuvenation point of view. And again, everybody's looking for Africa's business, right? So, We're really in a good space, and I think we just need to accelerate that. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to Unbundled, brought to you by Catalytic, a series that aims to demystify technology so that you can make smarter decisions for your business. Remember that you can listen to all of the episodes on the Cliff Central Apple website, and for added convenience, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And um, if you're looking for help with communications tools in your business, please make sure to visit catalytic.co.za.